Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. You know, every every church has a a sweet, godly, older lady who wears way too much perfume and then hugs everyone. Don't look, but... But you know that she's in the room before... You don't even have to turn around. You just know she's there, right? And if you, if you give her a hug, you, you smell like Elizabeth Taylor White Diamonds for the rest of the week, right? <laughs> because there's so much perfume that's on her. Tonight, I, I want to I talk about the anointing. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 30. We're going to take a few minutes together. I want to talk about the anointing because the anointing has actually got a lot in common with lots of perfume, lots of cologne. And there's something for us to learn about the anointing that you know, especially in, in charismatic churches, you know, Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, where there's, there's an emphasis on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we can sometimes use phrases, and uh, if we're not careful, we, we don't actually back up to engage the full meaning of what it is. And we can talk about the anointing and how the anointing breaks the yoke and all of that stuff. And we, we can say all that and, and, and we can mean it, but yet we can maybe not really know what we mean. And what's important is to back up into... Uh, scripture, because, uh, you know, I'm glad that you all love the word because that's, uh, that's, that's the basis of where our faith comes from. You know, you can't work up faith. And, you know, if you feel low on faith, you don't need to listen to a bunch of podcasts on faith. You don't need to read a book on faith. You don't need to try to just ask God for more faith. What you need to do is get into the word because the word is the seed that when it's planted in your heart will produce faith. And, you know, you don't want to have faith in faith. You want to have faith that is actually produced in you by the Holy Spirit. And when we get into the word, what happens is we recognize that God chooses imagery in order to reveal himself. An infinite God chose, you know, earthly uh, elements to reveal himself. Often in the, whole, in, the, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is referenced and referred to and likened to, uh, you know, fire or rain or oil or a river. You know, these types of things are meant to be things that as we dig into it and watch the nature of a river, we learn something about the Holy Spirit. We take what we know about that and we recognize this is, this is something like how the Holy Spirit wants to move in my life. God was not restricted or limited when he was breathing upon human authors to write scripture. He was not limited and just kind of dealing with the, you know, the, the short stack that he had and just kind of deal with that and kind of try to bring revelation from there. But God had everything at his disposal when he chose imagery that he wanted us to learn more about himself from. So when we dig into the image that he chooses, we actually learn a lot about the nature of his person and his ways. Does that make sense? So we do well to actually dig into the word. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 30. And the book of Exodus is obviously, you know, following the story of God's people as they are leaving behind 430 years of captivity in Egypt. And as they come out of that time of bondage and captivity, 
They are led by Moses, who was raised up as a deliverer. God used him to lead them out of captivity, signs and wonders, 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the Egyptians following them in, they get to the other side, and then God closes over the pathway of their deliverance and uses it to destroy the enemy. How many know God's done that in your life too? If you gave your life to Jesus, that the past, that you, the way that you used to live has nothing to do with you now because it's been swallowed up in victory and you're a brand new creation. Don't get too excited, but that's your testimony and mine, okay? And then Moses proceeds from his first initial conversation with God where he doesn't even know who God is. He sees a burning bush. He gets down, uh, uh, you know, he leans in to take a look and God speaks and says, take off your sandals. The ground's holy and takes off his sandals. And God's like, go and deliver my people. And Moses is like, um, could I just say, like, who is sending me? Like, who are you? And God's like, I am. And Moses is like, is that an answer to the question I just asked? <laughs> and we see that initial conversation make way over time till where Moses, the Bible tells us, spoke face to face with God the way that friends talk. This intimacy. God gave to Moses the law. He gave to him all kinds of instructions about the temple gave to him all kinds of instructions about the priesthood. And, and our understanding is that what we see in the Old Testament, Paul said in the, in the New, he said that everything that you see in the Old Testament is actually a shadow of what is to come. Everything, every image that we see that there's a shadow of what is to come. The shadow that we see in the Old Testament, uh, you know, a, a shadow is just simply when light falls on me right here, there's a shadow behind me. When the light falls on me, what's back here is actually just where this image is blocking out light from back there. It's actually the light shining on Jesus that casts a shadow into the Old Testament that we can learn more about how God wants us to walk with him. Exodus chapter 30, Moses gives some instruction about how to make anointing oil. And this is gonna teach us something about the anointing. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 22, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. I think Pastor Andrew has some here at the front by doTERRA, which, <laughs> that's amazing. I didn't know you were an oiler, but you are. I need to go to one of your parties <laughs> and get the free bottle of Happiness oil. Okay, back to the Bible. <laughs> 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. Half as much of that, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon. 250 shekels of fragrant cane. 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel. And a hen of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil. A fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. And it will be the sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table and all of its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and the basin with its stand. You shall consecrate them so that they will be most holy, and whatever touches them will be holy. Verse 30, anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them. Everybody say consecrate. You know, you might have a Bible that tries to turn that into a phrase. It'd be better if we just educated ourselves what some Bible words are and expanded our learning. Consecrate simply means get them ready to meet with me. 
To be consecrated is to get ready to meet with God. It's to be prepared to meet with a holy God. We don't just flippantly come into his presence, but we worship. We acknowledge his greatness. We consecrate ourselves. God says, anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them. Set them apart so that they may serve me as priests. Say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Do not pour it on men's bodies and do not make any oil with the same formula. It is sacred and you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it and whoever puts it on anyone other than a priest must be cut off from his people. Now God is trying to teach us something about how the anointing works. For us, as we sit on this side of the cross, this side of God's revelation and interaction with humanity, the, the centerpiece of all human history is the cross of Jesus Christ where time got split in half. Everything before that is BC, before Christ, everything after is after Christ. The, the turning point of human history is Jesus coming into the world and dying for the sins of the entire world, laying down his life. On this side of the cross, the Bible says in 1 John 2, 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. To be a Christian means that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a description. Christ means smeared with oil. It means anointed one. To be a Christian means you're smeared with oil. You are an anointed one. So what I'm preaching about tonight is not a charismatic message. It's not an elitist message. It's not for the special few. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a Christian. And what that means is you're anointed. 1 John 2, 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you might read that and think, I think that's written to somebody else. But if you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you have an anointing. Some of us would do well to get a collection of what the Bible says we are and actually begin to confess those things over ourselves until we start to live like it. Because you have an anointing from the Holy One. And to follow Christ means that I recognize I am supposed to live my life under his supreme example and lordship. I'd like to propose to you that we refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ because he is Jesus, the anointed one. I'd like to propose to you that what that means is that we need to recognize the dual nature of Christ, the dual nature of Jesus, so that we can order our lives rightly. And what I mean is this, God took on human form in Jesus Christ. Jesus is fully God and fully man. How many agree with that? Okay, that's good, because that's called orthodox theology, okay? Jesus is fully God and fully man. The tension that every one of us needs to embrace as followers of Christ is that we need to embrace the tension between Colossians chapter one and Philippians chapter two. 
Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Everything's held together by him. He's God. How many agree Jesus is God? Let me see your hands. How many agree Jesus is God? Okay. Then we have to mash that up with Philippians 2. And Philippians 2 says that being in nature God, he took on the form of a servant and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Or a better way to translate that would be he did not use his equality with God to his advantage. Some of us read the Gospels and we read it as though everything Jesus did, he did because he was God. And in so doing, we separate ourselves from what we're actually supposed to see. Jesus did what he did in ministry as an anointed man. In nature, God, but in function, an anointed man. Well, how can you say that? Okay, well, let's, let's take a look at a real easy one just to paint the picture. How many know that God is everywhere all the time? Okay, God's omnipresent, right? So that doesn't just mean that God is right now. He's here right now, and he's also in Australia right now. He's in Africa right now. Yes, he's omnipresent that way, but God is also everywhere in time and space all at once. That's why there's power in God's word, because when we read God's word, what sounds like a 2,000-year-old story to us is as instant to God as this moment is to us, because he's in that moment still right now. He's everywhere all the time. God is at your birthday, and he's at your funeral. God is everywhere all the time. When Jesus took on human flesh, he wasn't omnipresent in the flesh. Does that make sense? That would be a really big, 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 big person. What he did, theologically what he, we understand he did is he laid aside the independent use of the relative attributes of what it is to be God. He took the form of a servant. In nature, God, in function, an anointed man, the anointed one, Jesus Christ. That's why there's relative silence over the first 30 years of Jesus' life. We know Jesus at his birthday when the wise men came from the east and brought the most age-appropriate gifts they could think of, <laughs> gold and frankincense and myrrh. Clearly, their wives did not do the shopping. <laughs> what should we get the baby? Gold bars and some oil. <laughs> Done. I have some of that. <laughs> we see Jesus when he was 12 years old, and his parents, no big deal, but they're raising the Son of God, and they know it, and they lose him for four days. That's a parenting faux pas. They're traveling back home, and they're like, hey, who's got Jesus? You mean the Son of God? Yeah. Yeah, that one. I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. I thought he was with your mom. I thought he was with your mom. You know that was an argument. They go back, and they find Jesus lecturing the Pharisees at 12 years of age, and he's just talking to them about being about his father's business. They're amazed at his answers. But we don't see much of Jesus until John the Baptist emerges in a wilderness and he's preaching and he's 
baptizing people for repentance. And the message that God has given to him is for people to repent of their sin. And God gave John an assignment. He says, you're going you're gonna to know the Messiah as you are baptizing. And so he would just preach and people would repent and he'd baptize them. One day by the spirit of revelation, John the Baptist is preaching in that wilderness and he sees Jesus come over the hillside. And he, all of a sudden it just emerges in him. He recognizes and he says, behold, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus comes to John the Baptist and he says, John, baptize me. And John says, no, you baptize me. And Jesus says, no, you baptize me. <laughs> and then they did rock, paper, scissors. And Jesus said, this is for all righteousness to be fulfilled. You don't even know. You don't have to feel qualified. You just have to obey. And John baptizes Jesus. And the Bible says that when Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens parted. The voice of God the Father was heard. And the Holy Spirit came and descended and landed upon Jesus like a dove. The, the ultimate picture of the Trinity in all of Scripture is that we see Jesus, we see the, hear the Father, and we see the Holy Spirit. The three in one. And when the Spirit of God came upon Jesus, hear me now, that was christening. That was the Christ. That was the anointing. He goes into a wilderness to be tempted. He comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit, turns water into wine, continues to do miracles, and he did what he did in nature God, but functionally an anointed man. Are you following that tonight? So what we need to do is honor Jesus for who he is and at the same time recognize that the Gospels become a template of what the Christian life is to look like. That the anointing is supposed to make the kind of difference that we see Jesus making where he goes. And we think, well, I don't, I don't, I appreciate that we brought in a guest speaker and uh, I don't know about that church Lake Mount now that I've heard this, but that sounds a little bit different. Listen, Jesus said, Jesus said, if you have faith in me, you can do the things that I've been doing. And in fact, you can do even greater things than I've been doing because I'm going to the Father and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit on you. This is why 1 John 2.20 says that you have an anointing from the Holy One. This is why the church began in a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon those believers and they spilled out into the street and they walked in boldness and the miracles that you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John you see continuing in the book of Acts. And we do see glimpses of the greater things. Like Peter's shadow healing people. That's a pretty cool one. Jesus didn't do that. Peter did. We see Paul's handkerchiefs. You know, finishes up with a handkerchief and someone takes it. Someone's feeling sick and they're like, here, use this handkerchief. It's like, really? I'm already feeling sick. You want to give me someone's used Kleenex? Just try it. And the handkerchief... Somehow the anointing was transferred through the fabric. And I'm not talking about a televangelist praying over a bunch of cloth and mailing it out. I'm talking about just learning by trial and error, recognizing there's something transferable about this anointing. So here we are now again, looking at the anointing, what we see in the ministry of Jesus, what we see in the early apostles, what we see in the early church, is people that were learning how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit 
and, and flow in the anointing. Back to Exodus chapter 30. When you look at the ingredients of the anointing, it's 90% fragrance and 10% oil. All of, those, all of those fragrances are really strong. And everyone who's been to a doTERRA party is like, yep. <laughs> everyone has who, one of those misty things in their house to make it smell like someone just peeled an orange. You know what I'm talking about. It smells like someone just brushed their teeth all day. <laughs> Refreshing. In the Old Testament, what God told Moses to craft was this anointing oil, and he said it was the work of a perfumer. It was the work of someone who knew how to make fragrance. And the, the portions are quite large, and the anointing, when we see someone being anointed in the Old Testament, one of the most familiar passages we might be able to think of is when David was anointed. How, remember, how many remember the story of David when, when God was looking for a new king, and he sends the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse, and, and Jesse's looking to anoint uh, one of the sons, and they all pass in front of him, and God says, I haven't chosen any of these. They, uh, you know, uh, you're looking on the outside, but I look on the heart, and Samuel asks a really weird question. He's like, are you sure these are all your kids? Did, did you forget one? And Jesse's like, yeah, well, there's David. But he's just, he's just doing cleanup in the sheep fields. And Samuel says, I'm not sitting down until he gets here. And when, he, when, when David approached and walked through the doors, the Spirit of God spoke to Samuel and said, rise and anoint him, he's the one. And he took a flask of oil, I want you to picture like a two liter bottle of pop made out of clay, a good sized portion of 90% fragrance. He cracks the top off of it. And he doesn't anoint people like we do, like when we're just anointing people up here. You know what we do when we're anointing people, you, you, you get a little oil on your finger and you, usually what happens, you make the shape of a cross. Sometimes I mix it up, I'll do like a happy face. <laughs> Motorcycle, you know, it's a house and a dog. And I was like, what is happening on my forehead? Okay. But we're just taking a little bit of oil, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And often it doesn't even have any aroma to it. Often it's just olive oil. And we just put that on there as as a type, as an image of the Holy Spirit. But Exodus 30 says that when Moses was instructed to make anointing oil, and this is meant to inform our understanding of how the anointing works, it's 90% fragrance. When David was anointed in front of his brothers, he cracked the top off of that bottle of oil and he dumped the whole thing on him. Now picture that. I'd like to propose to you that if one of the brothers showed up late. He would have known there was an anointed one without having been there. How? The fragrance. The anointing operates like a realm of fragrance. You can't see it, but you can experience it. Like that sweet old lady with too much white diamonds on. And how you smell like her after a hug. Picture it now, intensified with two liters 
dumped over the head. And Psalm 133 talks about the anointing that comes from unity. It's like the oil poured over Aaron's head, running down his beard, through the folds of his garment. Every part of Aaron gets saturated with that anointing. And what happens is, if you can picture that amount of anointing oil, that amount of strong fragrance that is oil-based, not even alcohol-based, oil-based, that it's saturating the garment, saturating the hair, saturating the beard, covering the body, getting into the skin. That if I were to take a two-liter flask of oil and crack the top and pour it over Pastor Andrew's head, and I didn't tell you, I'd like to propose to you, you would know someone in this room was anointed the closer you got. And the closer you got to Pastor Andrew, the more you'd become aware it's him. It's meant to teach us something about the anointing. It's meant to teach us that the way that the realm of fragrance works, although I can't see it, I can perceive it. Although I can't see it, I recognize when I'm getting closer to it. Although I can't see it, it is changing my reality. And it's changing my reality in ways that aren't as quickly identifiable in some of the other priorities that we have. Because if we were videotaping this room and that strong fragrance is in here, there's no way to communicate to the video what it was like in here because that fragrance it's hard to describe to you, but it's the fragrance that really made that gathering. It's the anointing that really made the difference. You, you had to be there. Like if you miss church, listen to a podcast, but don't listen to a podcast as a way to do church. Why? Because even the Apostle Paul, while he's writing scripture, said, I long to be with you so that I can impart some spiritual gift to you. There's, there's something about coming together and being in the realm of the anointing getting near anointed ones, the body of Christ. So when we look at the gospels now, we can see how the anointing is operating in Jesus' life, like that realm of fragrance. Like the time in Mark chapter four, when Jesus is calming the storm and the disciples are afraid that they're, they're all gonna drown and then they get to the shore and Jesus just steps off the boat onto a little town of Gadarenes. So he just, as soon as he steps on the shore, a demonic, you know, a plagued person, a man who is possessed. We understand as the story progresses, he's possessed by a thousand demons. That this man runs. He's, he's been cutting himself, living amongst the tombs. They tried to bind him with chains. That's how bad it was. How bad was it? People just, their best solution for how to help Fred out was just to tie him up with chains. And when that didn't work, they just let him run around naked in a cemetery. Tormented, howling at the moon, cutting himself screaming, not, not mental illness, demonic oppression, being dominated from the inside out by forces of darkness. And Jesus just steps onto a boat and that man who is possessed by demonic force comes and he falls on his knees in front of Jesus and he says, have mercy on us. Have you come to torment us before the appointed time? How? did the demons recognize the anointing? Think fragrance. Saturated with the oil. That as he stepped on the shore, that atmosphere preceded him. And that anointing brought conflict in the atmosphere before Jesus even said anything. 
That story ends with that demon-possessed man wanting to get free, and so Jesus cast the demons out. Weird story, the demons asked to get cast into some pigs. Jesus puts the demons in the pigs. The pigs run down a hill and drown the pigs. The, the demons go into the pigs and run down and drown the, drown the pigs. It's weird. But all it's meant to show us is that the agenda of hell is just to destroy life. It's meant to, meant to show us that that one man was fighting off in torment. No wonder he was tormented and howling and cutting himself. Because when those demons got into mindless, soulless animals that just ran a thousand of them down a hill and killed them, that man was fighting death every day. Jesus steps on the shore. Conflict emerges in the atmosphere by the anointing. And the anointing set that man free. You read the Gospels and understand that when Bartimaeus is blind, have you ever stopped and wondered, how does a blind man know Jesus is getting close? He's getting close. How do you know? I can sense it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And you've been in the realm of the presence of God, the realm of the anointing. You, you feel the possibilities begin to shift. The options change. Because Jesus is getting close. And here's a blind man who's actually aware Jesus is really close. How do you know? The anointing. And he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone tells him, be quiet. So he yells all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. You came here for the Jesus meetings and you're ruining it. Jesus, over here. And Jesus says to the people who are shushing him, call him. I love that Jesus didn't call him himself. He makes the people who are rebuking him call him. And they're like, who, who Bartimaeus? My best friend Bartimaeus that I was just... Hey, Bart. <laughs> this is my friend Bartimaeus. I was just encouraging him to keep crying out to you. You're doing a good job, buddy. Bartimaeus is like, I don't know who you are. Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. Receive your sight. Boom. The anointing. It makes sense. I referenced early in the book of Acts when you see that Peter... The Bible says Peter walked the streets and they would line the sick along the streets so that even his shadow would fall on them. Now, if it truly was just his shadow, that's some pretty cool stuff that you could do, like have a big row of people that need to get healed and stand on a hill as the sun's going down. <laughs> just be like, you over there. But I propose that perhaps... It might look like the shadow, but perhaps it's more like that realm of fragrance. Like someone who's been saturated in two liters of strong smelling oil. That as Peter was saturated in the anointing, he walked the streets. And people got healed just by being in proximity to that anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing. I have an anointing. But it's interesting. The ingredients of the anointing are 90% fragrance. 
But there's another ingredient that we often overlook as we read Exodus chapter 30. The other ingredient that goes into the anointing is the consecrated life. It's the set apart life. It's the, the life that is devoted to living for Jesus. It's the life that is devoted to serving God. That consecrated life, that life that, that is devoted to the Lord, not living mixed in with the things of the world, but, but being devoted and pure in heart and pursuing the Lord. It's those, that ingredient that matters, perhaps even the most, because God gave some pretty strict instruction that we just read, that he said to the people, this is the sacred anointing oil, and you are to consider it. Everybody say, consider it. Consider. You're to consider it sacred. Don't treat it common. Don't, don't treat it casually. Don't treat the anointing like, like a parlor trick. Oh, I've flown words of knowledge. I could pack out some meetings and write some books. What I really want to do is, God, use me for your glory. The consecrated life. The consecrated life that is devoted to living in holy fear of God. That when we have that honor for him, he can put more of his spirit and put more of his anointing in our lives because we can be entrusted. We can't earn salvation and we can't earn his love. But there is a lifestyle requirement to going into the deeper things of God. The anointing that God has for your life, has for my life, requires my consideration. Consider it sacred. Consider it holy. Don't treat the holy as common but make room and time and space for the Lordship of Christ. Make room and time and space for the anointing to get saturated into your life so that we can start to make sense of Jesus' model of ministry where he said, I actually only do what I see my Father do. And I actually only say what I hear my Father say. Does that mean Jesus got a blueprint for the day and just, and you know, just, oh, I got to turn left here and there's a guy who's going to be crying out to be healed from blindness and you need to shush the other people. And no, no, no. It means that I'm staying in communion with my father and I'm staying in intimacy with the Holy Spirit so that I don't get distracted by other things and I keep moving with his heart. This is the Jesus model of ministry. This is what Jesus is calling us to as his church. The anointing that breaks bondage, the anointing that changes options, the anointing that shifts atmospheres. I believe that God is looking for a church that will look like his son. He's looking for a church that looks like Jesus. He's looking for a church that's not letting themselves off easy and saying, oh, well, Jesus did all that stuff because he was Jesus, but I love Jesus, so therefore that makes me a good Christian. No, I love Jesus and I want to be like Jesus. And I want him to work his nature into me. 
And when Jesus said that we could do even the things that he'd been doing and even greater things, I'd like to propose to you is because Jesus said, because I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to pray for you. See, Jesus didn't have Jesus praying for him. But we have Jesus praying for us. Praying that we would approach life under the influence of the anointing. And let the anointing begin to shift the atmosphere. Again, just dwell on that. Meditate on that. The image of fragrance. What would it be like if you made room for fresh anointing tomorrow morning? If you pictured it in the physical, what would it be like if when you went to work, everyone was like, get some new cologne, Dave? <laughs> Pretty strong. Stings the nostrils. <laughs> There's strong anointing. What would it be like if we were so saturated in the anointing that people began to sense the presence of God where we go? Something in me says, I think that's what it's supposed to be like. People are supposed to feel God when we walk in the room because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. And if I will live a consecrated life, then I can make more room for the Holy Spirit to dwell on me with power. And if I can make more room for the Holy Spirit to dwell on me with power, there's this, you know, as we progress in our walk with God, often we start out and we're earnestly praying for certain things to happen. But if I regard the ministry of Jesus and the early apostles, it seems like there's this zone that begins to get cut open where there's this effortless release of the anointing. Like when Jesus is walking down the street and a lady hears that Jesus is there and no one has ever just got healed just by touching his garment, but she has an idea. God didn't give her a word. No one prophesied over it. It wasn't in the, you know, in the Bible, go do this. She just had this thought. What if I just kind of, what if I kind of just crawl on my hands and knees? She's been bleeding for 12 years. What if I just crawl through a busy crowd and just kind of sneak one? What if I just like, touch the hem of his garment, just kind of sneak, sneak a miracle. And Jesus stops and goes, who touched me? Peter's like, everybody touched you. And Jesus is like, well, no, somebody touched me in faith. He was so in touch with the anointing, he could feel it move. I think that we have to embrace the reality. I'm not talking spiritual elitism, and I'm not talking, you know, charismatic church. I'm talking Christian anointed ones. Christianity 101. We are to be those saturated in the anointing so that the options begin to change for a world around us, that conversations begin to happen that, that you've been longing for. When I read the book of Acts and people walk up to the disciples and say, what must I do to be saved? I want conversations like that. It's like evangelism. Let's connect the dots. Someone just walks up and says, what do I need to do to be saved? You're like, glad you asked. Could it be the anointing prompting the question? Could it be the anointing prompting the conviction? Could it be the anointing stirring faith? Could God be wanting to pour out an anointing here tonight? I firmly believe the answer is yes. I firmly believe that God wants to get his anointing on hungry hearts in this room tonight. 
Are you hungry for an anointing from God tonight? Would you stand to your feet in Jesus' name? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Do we have some prayer people? Okay. If you're regularly on prayer ministry here at Mountain Park, could you just come forward and just line up here at the front? We're going to try something tonight. All right? Because I believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I believe that faith needs to be acted on because passive faith is actually no faith at all in, in biblical terminology. James says faith without works is dead. How many want a fresh anointing from God? All right. I believe that what we can see biblically is that anointing can get transferred through the laying on of hands. That there, there is such a thing as just a grace for the anointing to be transferred through the laying on of hands. Amen? Amen. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. First of all, I'm going to ask everybody here. I want you to pray for these people here at the front. These people here at the front, I just want you just to lift your hands to the Lord if you would. These are the prayer people. Would you stretch your hand towards them right now? In Jesus' name, we're just going to ask God. We're asking God right now that you release fresh anointing from your Holy Spirit. That, Father, these hands would impart fresh anointing. Lord, even as we just stir faith right now, Lord, these ones who, who just carry a mantle of prayer and burden of leadership for this house, Lord, these ones who are, who are willing and available to be used as they stretch their hands out to you, Lord, we're asking God. We're just, we're considering the anointing sacred and we're considering the vessels sacred. And so we're praying right now, God, that you would place your anointing on these men and women of God. Place your anointing upon them even right now. That, Lord, as they lay their hands on us, our faith is stirred to believe that God God, you want to release fresh anointing through them. God, it's not about us. It's about you. It's about us considering the anointing. So Lord, we trust consecrated lives that have come prayed up and ready and, and carry a burden of leadership for this house. Father, we're praying for a fresh release of anointing in Jesus name, a fresh release of anointing in Jesus name. Now go ahead. Just lift your hands straight up to heaven all over this room. Father, we're asking right now we recognize, Jesus, that you are the baptizer, that you are the anointed one, that you are pouring out your spirit and you are anointing. God, in these last days, you're pouring out your spirit on all flesh. And so, Father, you said in your word that in the time of rain, we should ask for rain. And so we recognize in this time of outpouring that, Lord, we need to be like those 120. You are pouring out your spirit on all flesh, but 120 received in that upper room. We're praying tonight you would put a bullseye on Mountain Park. Put a bullseye on the people in this room. We're asking for rain. We're asking for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're asking God for fresh anointing to come. That, Lord, you would touch us tonight. You would touch us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. Move upon our faith and our obedience and let your anointing come break bondage and release freedom all over this house, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.